So one of the Buddha's main teachings is on impermanence, the transient nature of things. And I always notice this every time I, not every time, but when I come to give talks and I, and this gaps, haven't been here for a while, and I notice that uh, the font size keeps going up and my inability to see the text keeps diminishing. And this is a great sign of impermanence. So I was up to 14 point and it's not working anymore. I'm still squinting. So I have to go up to, my friend's up to 20 point. I'm catching up. This is a cartoon for you from a bunch of people standing in line. And this woman saying to the person next to her, I want to learn to live in the moment. This is a, she's standing in a long line for something. And she says, I want to learn to live in the moment, but just not this moment. <laughs> Some other moment, like a moment on the beach. And if you had that thought in meditation today, I want to be in the moment, but nah, not for this kind of boring, itchy knee pain, painful emotion, right? So we go somewhere else. So I want to talk about light and inner light tonight. I, I was staying this weekend in a lighthouse uh, up on the coast, well, kind of next to a lighthouse really, but it was in lighthouse grounds at Point Arena. And, and so there's a lot of reflection on the metaphor of light and shining light and being a light and the light within. And um, one of my favorite references um, from the Buddha that I mentioned is about this, this uh, admonition he gave to his disciples close to his death about being a light unto yourself, being a lamp. And uh, knowing that, for knowing the truth for oneself and it's also we're coming up to the autumn equinox, and you know it's just it's, it's remarkable how quickly the light changes. I was not here that long ago, and it was a beautiful summer's evening, and now it's feels you know autumnal, and there's a slight nip in the air, and the leaves are turning, and there's a quality in the light, the shifting of the angle of the sun, and the the autumn equinox is the is the time when the, the light and the darkness are balanced but it's also the gateway into the uh, unfolding darkness and um, often a time of reflection and uh, about the, the looking into the darkness and the shadow and the, the dormancy and, um, and to look at the transformative nature of darkness. So it seems fitting that um, to be reflecting on light as well as darkness and what the relationship of those is in our experience, in our lives, in our inner lives. What is your relationship to light and to darkness? Beautiful poem by Mary Oliver uh, in about the sun that I often reflect on when I'm watching the sunrise. And she writes, have you ever seen anything in your life more wonderful than the way the sun every evening, relaxed and easy, floats towards the horizon and into the clouds or the hills or the rumpled sea and is gone and how it slides again out of the blackness every morning on the other side of the world, like a flower streaming upward on its heavenly oils. Say on a morning in early summer at its perfect imperial distance, and have you ever felt for anything such wild love? 
Do you think there is anywhere in any language a word billowing enough for the pleasure that fills you as the sun reaches out, as it warms and touches you, as you stand there empty-handed? Or have you too turned from this world? Have you too gone crazy for power or for things? This is from the Buddha. Just as in the last month of the, of the rains in autumn, when the sky is clear and cloudless, the sun on ascending the sky overpowers the space immersed in darkness, shines and blazes and dazzles. In the same way, all skillful qualities are rooted in awareness, converge in awareness, and awareness is reckoned among the foremost among them. So I love this reference to this, this idea, this metaphor of awareness that we uh, have as intrinsic to who we are, the mysterious quality that allows, us to, allows you to be present, allows you to hear, allows you to see, allows you to know, allows you to make sense of experience, allows you to function in the world, that we don't do anything for, it's just there. But it's also a central quality that as the Buddha said, it, it's like the cornerstones, the foundation of our life, of our experience, but also our awakening. That without this quality, uh, that's that awareness that, that we bring towards our inner experience to cultivate self-awareness, self-knowing, self-understanding is not possible. And yet it's also something that we forget about because it's invisible, it's, it's intangible, it's unlocatable, but it's clearly present, clearly knowing, all of the time. Right? How much time do you think about your money worries or your relationship worries versus awareness? <laughs> if you put it on a spreadsheet, what do you think would come out higher? <laughs> right? And yet it's this thing that allows it all to happen. Right? Quite mysterious. Like right now, if you pay attention to awareness, pay attention to that which is knowing your experience, that which is knowing this talk, that which is seeing, okay? what happens when you shift attention? So it's basically, you're shifting attention from the foreground to the background, and like, oh, seeing, oh, this, this is all happening, it's all taking place in awareness. I don't have to do anything for it. It's free. It's a bargain. And it's, 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 um, it's our birthright. And it's really what so many spiritual teachings are pointing us towards, is to rest in that. When we rest, when we abide in awareness, then what happens is, is we see the comings and goings of our life, and we're not so caught up in them, we're not so terrified by them, or, or triggered by them, or thrown about by them. Right? Awareness is like this ballast, awareness, mindfulness, use those words interchangeably, it's like this, this, it's like the flagpole. The flag might be fluttering, as we do. We flutter, the mind flutters, our emotions flutter, our heart flutters. But awareness doesn't actually flutter, it stays steady. And so what practice is doing is helping us ground there. This is again from Mary Oliver about uh, the Buddha's last words. Make of yourself a light, said the Buddha before he died. 
I think of this every morning as the East begins to tear off its many clouds of darkness to send up the first signal, a white fan streaked with pink and violet and green. An old man, he lay between two salad trees, and he might have said anything, knowing it was his final hour. The light burns upward, it thickens and settles over the fields. Around him the villagers gathered and stretch forward to listen. Even before the sun itself hangs, disattached in the blue air, I am touched everywhere by its ocean of yellow waves. No doubt he thought of everything that had happened in his difficult life. And I feel the sun itself as it blazes over the hills like a million flowers on fire. Clearly I am not needed. Yet I feel myself turning into something of inexplicable value. Slowly beneath the branches he raised his head. He looked into the faces of that frightened crowd. So he looked into the faces of that frightened crowd and who people who disciples, students, attendants, people who'd been loyal to him and his teachings for a long time, 30, 40 years, 45 years in total, his teaching. So you can imagine there was a lot of uh, apprehension and fear losing their teacher. And so it's interesting that he says, to, he, say, he, he gives this teaching, he says, you know, don't look here. The answer's not here, it's never here. It's never what I say. It's, it's, it's you put into practice what I'm pointing to and see for yourself. Be a lamp unto yourself, be a light unto yourself, be a refuge to yourself. Hold fast to the truth as a lamp, hold fast to the truth as a refuge. Look not for a refuge in anyone besides yourselves. And those who shall be a lamp unto themselves shall betake themselves to be to no external refuge, but holding fast to the truth as a lamp, holding fast to the truth as their refuge, they shall reach the highest heights. That's not to say dismiss, you know, taking teaching, studying, learning, understanding, but ultimate, the ultimate authority is here. Nobody can actually tell us what reality is. Nobody can tell us who we are. Nobody can tell us really. Um, what to do. Nobody can tell us how to live our lives. We, there's their guide, their guides, their markers, their pointers, but we have to actually work that out for ourselves. And his last words were, work out your liberation with diligence. Be a light unto yourself and do your own work. Nobody can do it for you. No great teacher, no great teaching. So an interesting um, way of putting it back onto us, like saying, it's actually up to you. It's actually already within you. The light is already within you. Be a light. Can you, and can you know, can you access that light, that knowing, that understanding? And then in, in, our, in, our, in our wiser moments, we can. And we see clearly, we understand, we know what we're doing. We maybe know who we are at times. We have a sense of our purpose our place, and then of course the clouds come and the storms come and we just want a chocolate croissant, that's all we care about. <laughs> or we just want our, you know, our you know, broken heater to be fixed, or we want our children to be happy, or we want my dad who's recovering from an operation to be well, or you know, whatever it is, you know, there's many things that, that are concerns to us, all important, well, some more important than others. 
So to reflect for yourself, like where do, where do you look for authority? Where do you look? Who do you look to for authority? Do you look for it in teachers or a teaching or a tradition or dead people, um, dead teachers? I was just having dinner with a friend and who just sort of took refuge with this teacher and she said to him, oh, finally you stopped taking refuge in dead teachers and you're actually going to work with a living one. A little more challenging, the living ones. <laughs> the dead ones can be challenging too, but not in the same way because they can, you know. So in this practice, in this tradition, you know, the Buddha didn't just say, well, be a lamp unto yourselves and, you know, go get lost. No, he said, be a lamp. And, you know, there's this vehicle of practices that, that he said, you know, these are really helpful. These are supportive in, in helping us find our true refuge, finding our true home. So in this practice of vipassana, insight meditation, we use the practice of mindfulness, of awareness, as a support, as a vehicle for that knowing that abiding in our own understanding. So in a way, it's an honest but hard-working practice. We have to do that work for ourselves. We have to rely on our own diligence right, to get ourselves up in the morning to practice. Easier said than done. The, thing I, the biggest complaint I hear about people's practice is, it's hard to practice. <laughs> it's hard to practice every day. It's hard to get my bum out of bed into the, onto the cushion. Okay? Takes work, takes diligence. You know? To be a lamp unto yourself doesn't mean uh, going to sleep. Doesn't mean not applying effort. Doesn't mean not applying perseverance. And it's it's hard. It's 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 work to, as you know. I'm not. You don't need to hear that. Know this. You don't need to hear this. But it's you know, it contextualizes that you're not the only one that may be struggling to wake up, be present, be mindful, practice, meditate, be conscious. We're going against the stream. There's a lot of inertia in the way. So that study, and that, that I'm just rereading the study that was done through Harvard by, what's his name, um, where is Clifford gone, who would know? Yes, you know, the study that they did with, um, uh, is it Clissinger? Killingsworth. Killingsworth, right, the study of where he was tracking people, asked them three questions, what are you doing, where is your, where is your attention, and how do you feel, basically, and uh, tracked initially, I think, 2,000 people, but eventually gathered 165,000 pieces of data and summarized them and uh, basically found that people were mm, spacing out, daydreaming, not present to what they were doing 47% of the day, <laughs> which is a significant amount considering you spend eight hours a day sleeping and then the other eight hours spaced out. So <laughs> you actually only have about eight hours, if you're lucky, um, present. So no wonder we don't know ourselves as lights and lamps. <laughs> so, and of course, the, the interesting piece about that study was that people were significantly less happy when they were thinking rather than being present to what they were doing. Even if they, what they were doing was something that was we would regardly 
we commonly regard as not that interesting, like working or driving or chores around the house. People were actually always consistently happier being present to the thing they were doing than thinking about something else while they were doing it, which is very contrary to the prevailing belief that, well, if something's boring like driving or the dishes or walking the dog or exercise, then thinking and fantasizing and daydreaming and is, is, is going to make you happier, right? Because you can think about more fun things, but actually the, the data is that it actually makes us feel less happy. So when next time you're on the treadmill or doing the dishes or walking the dog or cleaning the house, be present. See what happens. See if you notice a qualitative difference in your experience in terms of your well-being. It actually makes a difference. So we have to train ourselves, we have to train our mind, we have to train our attention to be present. That's why we cultivate these practices, why we have these groups, why we, why we have retreats to consistently and, and uh, patiently develop this, what's called samadhi, with the gathering, collecting, unifying the scattered forces of the mind. Not easy to do. You know, give simple instructions like follow the breath. Not rocket science, six-year-old can understand it. Not easy to do, right? And then, and then we have all the, the secondary layers and the dots and the arrows of like, well, I should be able to do it. Why can't I do it? Everybody else can do it. And then we have more suffering. And then we just reveals our mind, reveal, reveals our consciousness, which is not very, you know, generally um, practice is humbling. If your practice isn't humbling, you're probably not paying attention enough. Because if you're paying attention, it's humbling, right? It's hard to be present. It's hard to develop concentration. It's hard to sustain continuity of mindfulness in your life. So that's why we practice. And we bring this quality of awareness that has a, a distinct quality, two distinct qualities. One is it, it's a direct experience, which means we're not filtering our experience through a conceptual mind. There's a certain immediacy of experience. So when we're following the breath, as a, as a simple example, to be with the breath without being lost in our stories and thoughts and judgments and views and preferences about it. Oh, I like a yoga breath. I like this kind of breath. I like an Ashtanga breath. No, I like, I hate my neighbor's breath, but I like my breath. And <laughs> no, it's just our breath, sensations like this, movement, tension. It's a poem by the poet Kohad. I cast my brush aside. From here on, I'll speak to the moon face to face. Can we come into direct immediacy of our experience with awareness, with this clarity, this light of knowing? So what do you think about this idea of this light of awareness is within you? The sense of, you know, different teachers point to it in different ways. There's a beautiful teaching in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, um, which is read al- out loud to people who are in passing and have passed, reminding people to, to understand, to know that the light of awareness is, or is, is prevailing. The light is already within you. It's not somewhere else. Practice is helping us to return to that nature to see that what's outside, what's inside, is not separate. So this from the Book of the Dead goes, one passage, it says, Remember the clear light, the pure, bright, shining white light of your own nature. 
It is deathless. The pure, bright, shining white light of your own nature. It is deathless. If you look into your experience, you can see that they are composed of the same pure, clear light as everything else in the universe. Not separate, not different, connected. No matter where you are, how far you wander, the light is only a split second, a half breath away. It is never too late to recognize this light. Let go into the clear light, rest, trust it, merge with it. It is your own nature. It is home. So maybe at times you notice that when you're sitting, there's a sense of light or presence or luminosity or clarity or knowing. I was like, mm, I don't know about that. It's kind of pretty dull over here. No, but there are moments, right? We, we, can, we can notice from our experience there's clarity, there's awareness. So yes, am I getting some nods here? Yeah, there's a certain, and that's, it's not something separate. Sometimes we, we access that, that place or that characteristic and we think, oh, I'm getting something, but actually we're just remembering something or returning really to what's intrinsic. So easy to forget. So, so the, the reason I like to point to the, the nature of awareness, the quality of awareness, is because that awareness itself the, 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 is so synonymous with light. And when we, when we, when we tune to that, this, we can, can taste that, that light within. That's really the light, the nature of everything. So let's do a, a short exercise. Um, I may have done it here in this class before at some point, um, and it's it will do. It's a one-minute meditation. It's a power meditation. Don't don't change your posture. Yep, it doesn't doesn't because it doesn't matter. It doesn't help. You will all fail at this meditation. I guarantee you. So don't worry. Um, and the instruction is to not pay attention, to not be aware, to not be mindful, not be aw- be awake. Um, not notice anything, okay? So one minute, starting from now. Eyes closed, eyes open, doesn't matter because you're not noticing anything. Blissfully unaware. Don't try too hard. I sound the bell, which means to end the meditation, which you won't hear because you're not paying attention. So what did you notice? Fess up. Nothing? 
It's hard not to notice. Yes, it's hard not to notice. That was only a minute? That was, it's, it seemed like a long time, didn't it? I noticed that too. Yeah, time, so you notice what you notice, time or impatience or blah, yeah. Okay, you notice blah. What else did you notice? A lot of work. A lot of work not to notice anything. It can be a lot of work. You notice sounds? Somebody notice sounds? Uh-huh. It was boring not to notice anything. It was boring not to notice. You notice boredom. Mm-hmm. <coughs> what else? It Th- seemed like the same as being aware. It seemed like the same <laughs> as being aware. <laughs> yeah, it seems like the same as being aware. What do you make of that? <laughs> Does anybody succeed in not noticing nothing for a minute? You didn't notice. (laughs) So it's impossible, right? It's impossible not to know. It's impossible not to be aware unless you're dead. And then who knows? We'll find out sooner or later. Um, It's impossible not to be aware. That is the good news. If, if, If the essence of mindfulness practice is awareness, and awareness can't be shut off, awareness is happening all the time, then this is like you've got a a head start, you know. It's the good news, right? Often when I do this meditation on retreats, or anywhere really, people say, I was more aware during that than I am when I meditate. Anybody notice that? Like you kind of notice everything, right? Because you're not trying, right? Sometimes when we, uh, often when we meditate, we constrain ourselves and we limit ourselves and we box ourselves by efforting and struggling and squeezing and trying and forcing and mm, 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 mm. and we and we we kind of almost like clamp down the natural quality of awareness, which is to know. So, um, which is why so much in, in, in different traditions, there's an emphasis on relaxation. Relaxation and letting go as part of cultivating awareness. Often we, we associate concentration with will and forward brow and determination and, and struggle. And actually, we can just rest and relax and, oh, it's, it's all happening by itself. It's all just unfolding. And there's, so there's some effort required when we become distracted. We notice that. And then we bring awareness back to whatever the domain is that we're focusing on. So maybe you want to practice this non, it's really a non-doing meditation as you're going about your day, sitting on the bus, sitting in a traffic light, sitting at work, lying in bed, and and for a moment just, just let it all go, relax. Don't make any effort and see how awareness is naturally functioning by itself illuminating many things in your experience, including ourselves. So the, so the, the important question out of that exercise, if awareness is, is always happening, what are we aware of? If awareness is always present to something, what are we present to? Right? As meditators, as, uh, this is an important question. Where is the mind alighting? 
Where is attention going? This is a, is a significant factor in our happiness or unhappiness. And I know Rick Hansen was, was, was Rick Hansen here last week? I was teaching here last week somewhere, I forget which class, maybe some other weekend. Hmm? Not on Sunday. And in Rick's new book on hardwiring happiness, he talks about the way, you know, the, uh, our mind is hardwired to orient towards uh, threat, fear. And through practice, we can, we can reorient, as the Buddha says, we incline the mind towards that which is wholesome. Incline the mind towards wholesome experience. Incline the mind towards generosity, towards love, towards what's here versus what's not here. So what are we paying attention to? Notice where the mind is going. Notice where awareness is, is orienting. What's the habit? Use your habits as towards deficiency and fear and what's, what's not right about me or this person or this situation rather than what is here and what is okay about this, like right now. You know, our attention pulls towards pain and difficulty and fear and distress. What's another possibility for us? We have some, some volition, some, some, some say over that process. It's called practice. This is from Carl Jung. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. The latter procedure, however, is disagreeable and therefore not very popular. <laughs> so an interesting take. You know, we think of uh, this process of awakening as emerging into layers of light. And it's not that simple. It's usually through the dark and the descent and the shadow and the difficult and the painful and the suffering that we do our work of transformation, which is what liberates and frees us. But we don't want to hear that, do we? <laughs> we just want to hear the nice stuff. We want to hear, well, it's just all expansion, love and light. Well, wrong planet. At least for most of us. That's not everybody's experience, but for most part, it, that we do our transformation, we do our healing, and we do our awakening right in the muck, in the soil, in the manure, in the, in the challenges, in the pain. You know, it's very easy, as Jung's pointing to, to uh, orient towards a kind of spiritual bypass. You know, we're orient, where we're kind of hovering over what's difficult. We're not wanting to, you know, and this is really what's something, some ways that we diminish our light. One is by avoiding what's true, avoiding what's difficult, avoiding what's painful. And we hover, we bypass, we avoid, we try to meditate things away. We try to meditate something away. Pain, sorrow, agitation. I'm just going to meditate through it. I'm just going to get rid of it if I just, you know, samadhi it away. But it's always through. We take that light on that journey into the darkness. It's partly what this time about, this time of going into the dark phase of the, of the solar cycle. This is a poem I wrote about this descent um, some time ago, uh, coming out partly of my own journey into the dark night. It's called Finding Ourselves. 
what has to be given up to find yourself, what allows you to turn towards the one who has been forgotten, neglected or abandoned. It takes a certain will, a bold act of courage, even a moment of grace for you to remember the shade of your own face, the taste of your own skin. Perhaps you don't know the voice living inside that lives a separate life, the one you have ignored while trying to satisfy those other cries, arms outstretched demanding your time, begging for your presence. And in that turning there will be times you will feel banished, scorned for being selfish, dismissed for not helping. But there comes a time when you realize you have to go into the night to find your inheritance, something found in the stillness of the dark, in the bitter regions of grief and the desolation of loss. Hopeless and confusion may reign there, and you may be stripped bare, but you sense there is no choice but to keep turning into it. There you have to face your own annihilation and stare into the mirror of aloneness, until after some time that wasteland becomes familiar, loneliness becomes a memory, and you feel strangely at home, at ease in your own company, not divided against yourself, where you find everything stands solitary yet intimate, not yet understood but felt. And from that dark night you step back into the day, though its colors may blind you and bewilderment comes, you come to know who you are, the same yet transformed. The old tugs don't catch you, you move lighter, not weighed down by the call to leave yourself again, not for anything. That road lies a sure death. This path speaks of emergence. So on this journey, this path of awareness asks two questions. What does this light of awareness illuminate for us? And how do we meet what is illuminated? So for the Buddha, it illuminated many things in his awakening. And many of the teachings that we, that we teach here come from that awakening, the Four Noble Truths, the understanding of suffering and, the, and, the, and the, 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 the cessation of suffering, the understanding of causality, how everything is interconnected and uh, interdependent, the truth of change, of transformation, of transience, that there's nothing, to be, nothing solid enough inside, outside, or anywhere to hold on to. View, position, f- person, place. Dear friend of mine, um, uh, I just found out last week she was um, lying in a park in San Francisco, I think, with her young one, and um, she got run over by a truck and died instantly. An 11-month-year-old baby. And you just don't know. It's not the first time I've lost a friend just like that. Um, beautiful young spirit in her 30s, Krista. And so, what is, what is awareness illuminating and how do we meet it? The Buddha said, luminous is this mind, luminous, brightly shining is our mind, is the nature of who we are. But it's obscured. It gets obscured by the visiting tendencies of mind. Habits, patterns, personality, 
how do we meet those difficulties that come into our lives, out, external, internal? So every, every moment we have a choice, we're asked what's happening, how do we meet it, how do we relate to it, whether it's a dear one passing, our own challenges, global challenges. And this path of awareness, it's easy to think of it as somewhat detached, but actually when, we, when we're fully embracing this quality of awareness, we're actually moving into life. We're, we're moving, we're connecting, we're engaging, we're staying close, we're not apart from it. Apart from it is a kind of a detach, it's a kind of like an unhealthy detachment. We're actually, as we become more awake and more aware, we feel, we sense, we, we, things become closer to us in a certain way. That's why mindfulness and awareness is the building block for empathy, for compassion, because we actually get closer. We feel uh, the suffering and the joys of another. And I want to add this last piece, which is, I think, and I talk about this a lot here and elsewhere, that this light of awareness is not something that's separate from the heart. There's something about the English language that's different than the way this, these teachings were taught. For instance, the word mind, chitta, um, uh, really the, the more accurate translation is heart mind. The location of the mind in Indian thought is, in, is, in the, is here in the heart, not up here in the head. So as our practice matures, we want to bring the quality of kindness, of tenderness, of love, of warmth, to embrace whatever it is that's revealed. As the Buddha said, these are these visiting tendencies of mind, these losses, these tragedies, these heartbreaks, these pains, the physical stuff that we go through. We want to meet that, not just with awareness, we want to meet it with kindness. We want to meet it with some tenderness. As the sixth Zen patriarch said, Awareness is the foundation of kindness. Kindness is the expression of awareness. As we become more aware that what, what pours out of that is, is kindness, is compassion, is a care, is a reaching out, is a tenderness. So notice the attitude in which you meet yourself and you meet your experience. What gets illuminated and how do you meet it? Do you meet it with curiosity? Do you meet it with welcoming? Do you meet it with an invitation? Do you meet it with, oh God, not that again. I don't, I don't feel that. I don't want to be with that person. I don't want to deal with that. Ugh, no, that's just, I didn't come to Spirit Rock to feel all that junk. No, I want to come here and get me happy. Well, good luck. You know, we're, we're here to meet whatever's here. When we, meet, when we can have that spirit embracing and generosity, it's not a problem. It's just the next thing to be with. And then there's times when we can't be with that. And can we be with the part of us that can't be with it? Right? So I was driving over here, I was meeting a friend for dinner and of course I was stuck in traffic so I was late and I didn't want to be late and I didn't want to be in traffic. And I didn't want to be pissed off that I was late in traffic. 
because I was coming to teach a class on Dharma and I shouldn't be pissed off because I'm a Dharma teacher. It should be really equanimous and look at that. And I was getting, and I was judging myself and, you know, and can I meet that? Oh, then that. Oh, that. Oh, God, that. Okay. <laughs> and then to have a sense of humor, you know, I've talked to my friend and we're laughing about getting annoyed and frustrated and here I am going to teach a meditation class and, and he's like, yeah, you're human. It's like, yeah, I'm human. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> So can we meet that, whatever stage of it, 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 whatever stage it is, even the not being able to meet it, even the judging that we can't meet it, can we meet that with some humor or some lightness or some perspective? And if not, then we can't. And then we meet, meet that. I, was like, I can't do it, but I can't face that right now. Okay, can't meet. Can that be okay too? Right? Awareness actually holds it, all of it. And if it could giggle, it would, because it's sort of humorous and tragic, and beautiful. And that's what we keep taking refuge in. And the mystery of, of, of taking refuge in that, and knowing oneself as that, is that we also, as, as the sixth Zen patriarch points to, is we see the kindness and the love in that. And we see, oh, it's not just here, it's also in there, and it's there, and it's there, and it's there, and it's in everything, it's in everyone. That we're actually walking around these beings of love and awareness. We just don't know it most of the time, we forget it. Maybe easier to see in others sometimes, maybe easier to see in ourselves sometimes. This is from Thomas Merton, who had one of those aha moments seeing that. He said, in Louisville at the corner of 4th and Walnut in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all those people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another, even though we were total strangers. It was like I was waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation and monastic holiness. The sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy to me that I laughed out loud. I had the immense joy of being a member of a race in which the divine became incarnate. There was no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. You know, and so sometimes we have those moments, we see it. It's beautiful and we see the goodness in people's eyes and the children and even our neighbor who we have grumbles with. And, and then we forget. And then we remember. And part of practice is hopefully s making those moments, uh, those gaps in forgetting shorter and shorter. Right? Shorter and shorter. So we forget and we remember, we forget and we remember, we forget and we forgive ourselves and we remember. And we forget and we laugh, we smile and we remember. And we forget and we remember. And then we remember that it's all happening in awareness anyway. This is from the Buddha. He said, meditate, live purely, be quiet. Do your, ma do your work with mastery, like the moon come out from behind the clouds and shine. Come out from behind the clouds and shine. This other quote, he said, virtue, concentration, and discernment. 
In other words, of saying ethics, meditation, wisdom, one in whom these are well-developed, passing beyond delusions domain, shines, shines like the sun. And maybe you know people who, um, who've walked this path or a similar path and who dwell more in this knowing, in this quality. And there is a sense of radiance. When the Buddha first attained his awakening and was walking down the road and some person saw him and they were so blown away by the radiance, they said, well, who are you? What are you? Are you God? Are you a spirit? Are you an angel? Are you a heavenly messenger? Are you, what are you? you know, so it's such a striking thing to see someone just woken up and radiating. It's a beautiful thing to bring to this world. And the Buddha said, I am awake. I am awake. Simple as that. So, so let's just take a moment to sit and just to, to sense again, to, to not just in like in the last exercise, to sit without effort. To sit without doing anything. To sit with this effortless knowing. Noticing how everything reveals itself. And we get channeled at times down tunnels. And then we open up back to just the open space of awareness and everything that's coming and going within it. And I'll close with one last Mary Oliver poem called When I Am Among the Trees especially the willows and honey locust, equally the beech and oaks and pines. They give off such hints of gladness. I would almost say they save me and daily. I am so distant from the hope of myself, in which I have goodness and discernment, and never hurry through the world, but walk slowly and bow often. Around me the trees stir in their leaves and call out, stay a while. The light flows from their branches and they call again. It's simple, they say. And you too have come into the world to do this. To go easy. To be filled with light. And to shine. You too have come into the world to do this. To, to go easy. To be filled with light. And to shine. Thank you for your kind attention. Lovely to be here with you all. And may you be like beacons of light as you move through your 
day in your life. Thank you. Blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.